right. Yeah. Yeah? Fucking like, yeah. All right, cool. Um, I'll just do... Hi, and welcome to Somatic. Um, you want to introduce me? Yeah. Hi everyone and welcome to Somatic. So yeah, let me just uh, pick up where our past selves left off there and, and do that intro uh, in real time today. That was the uh, other co-founder of the show, Sam Clevenger. And actually for this intro, we had a unique opportunity, uh, something that we haven't been able to do before, which was uh, me and Sam both had uh, sat down in a room and recorded the intro uh, for the show back in November. Um, and I do want to get back to those past selves uh, to, to finish off the intro uh, but quickly I just wanted to say uh, you know it's been a little bit of a gap since the last episode uh, we're working on some more material for this new year and we're hoping to try and uh, work towards getting an episode out every four to six weeks um, the more you can spread the word about the show the more that helps us out it is really a huge help um, we're on twitter at somatic podcast uh, and you can freely share our site or our soundcloud page with anyone uh, and try and get them connected with the show. Uh, the more you do that, uh, the more the word gets out, the more support we can get and the more we can develop what we're doing. So we really appreciate that. Um, so with that, I will hand it back over to Sam. Thanks. Hello, everybody. Uh, today, I thought it'd be interesting if we take you on a historical and... Uh, journey of experience to uh, these communities that were called garden cities and they're still around two in uh, England and one in the United States uh, our topic for today has to do with uh, how people have and continue to experience uh, through their bodies particular planned communities and some of the ideals of these planned communities uh, the what the planners and designers of communities imagine people doing and experiencing, what they think people should be doing within the communities they build. Um, paying particular attention to garden cities because of their historical importance and how they thought about nature, how they thought about physical activity, and how they thought about movement, the healthiest way of moving. So we're going to try to uh, sort of uh, dig a little deeper into what people thought and uh, how people moved within these various communities that I myself traveled to and, and have studied within the past year, focusing particularly on two communities, one called Letchworth, which is in the Hertfordshire countryside just north of London um, in the United Kingdom, and Greenbelt, Maryland within the United States. Okay, great. And then, as always, at the end, we'll check back in um, with everyone and point you towards there'll be a blog post to go along with the episode. But I don't want to hold us up any longer, so let's get right into it.
Litchworth Garden City in the United Kingdom, and Greenbelt, Maryland in the United States, began their existence as planned garden cities. Many years ago, they were created as centrally planned communities, where working class residents, they could live, they could escape the overcrowded, unhealthy conditions of the large cities, and seemingly enjoy a healthier way of life within this built environment, these built environments that could provide ample access to open spaces, countryside, natural environment, and hopefully neighborly cooperation. What you are about to hear are the sounds of those communities that I recorded during my travels both to Letchworth and living in Greenbelt. My thoughts on both the history of garden cities, what they were, how they emerged, what kinds of communities they were supposed to be, as well as my experience traveling and living in these communities. These are the sounds of the Letchworth Greenway, what is now preserved park and trail space for the residents of Letchworth. But over a hundred years ago, when the town was first being planned, this land was to be the town's agricultural belt, a preserved belt of farmland and countryside that was supposed to circle the whole planned community. So what you're hearing right now is what was once Letchworth's agricultural belt, and still, as preserved park space, is right adjacent to largely countryside and farmland. What we hear now is 21st century countryside, English countryside. What did the people hear when the town was first created? What did they want to hear? It's my first time visiting Letchworth Garden City in the Hertfordshire countryside north of London in the UK. I'm here because I got some funding from an international fellowship to conduct some historical research for my dissertation to become a PhD. I'm trying to study the history of the international garden city movement this sort of flowering of communities that are meant to combine all the positive elements of the town but also remedy the negative elements of overcrowded urban life during the late 19th and early 20th centuries by creating a planned community out in the English countryside. But I've never been here before, and I didn't know what to expect. 
in a strange way as I stand out in some of the spaces that were designed to be designed to reflect the English countryside, designed to provide residents access to the English countryside, like in the agricultural belt. In a strange way, it does feel like what I thought it was going to be. I don't know how else to explain... I don't know how else to explain that. It's been a very strange and meandering sort of somatic journey for myself just coming to this topic, just coming to this dissertation topic and the reasons why I'm wanting to study it. In a weird way, I've had this very embodied experience of alienation in many of the other places where I've lived in my life so far. And when I just sort of accidentally stumbled upon this topic of Garden City history back in the United States, there was sort of this strange kind of calling to these communities and the way they, the way the planners and the Garden City proponents talked about them as being a place where people could live a healthier, happier life and it would marry all these sort of attributes attributes that were necessary for people to have a happy life and live content so I was kind of drawn to these garden cities but I don't really know what I don't really know what to make of it so I'm walking around looking at the buildings and looking at how the town was planned looking at all the countryside access the sounds of the countryside and the smells of the, of the flowers and the grass and the farms nearby. There's something very, there's some very bodily component to this. There's feelings that are sort of coupled with all of my thoughts of perhaps why people were drawn to these garden cities. And it leads me to, to think about it, to study it, to look at the history.
When you do a little reading in the history of Garden Cities, you quickly find that the ideas, the ideas that were um, underpinning all of these communities, they spread throughout the world rather quickly. They were supported, they were entertained and adopted by various different peoples, um, first in Europe, in the United States, but now internationally in various different locales. Most of the first sort of um, full-scale Garden City-inspired communities in the early 20th century happened in um, England, just like Letchworth, and the United States, with the federal Greenbelt Town program during uh, the FDR New Deal administration. It doesn't take long when you visit or even when you just read about these garden cities and take a look at pictures, what the idea was about. Most of these men in England, it was a stenographer called Sir Ebenezer Howard. There were planners like uh, Sir Raymond Unwin, Barry Parker, and a host of others. Dame Henrietta Barnett, who helped found Hampstead Garden Suburb, which is based on some of the Garden City principles. They looked at so the condition of these urban centers, like in London and Manchester and Liverpool, how poor people, working class people, were living in overcrowded locations. Housing was small. Access to green space was minimal to none. Sanitary issues. Disease. No open space to run around for children to play. Being near dangerous conditions. And they looked out to the countryside. And they mythologized often. They idealized the English countryside. They thought the English countryside was this place where the healthiest way of life was possible. But they looked out to the rural communities and they saw them being degraded. They saw millions and millions of laborers moving to the cities because that's where the jobs were. That's where the industries were. So they saw this two-pronged problem. Overcrowding, unsanitary, unhealthy cities, and the depopulation degradation of the rural communities. So what they thought was, what if you repopulate what if you repopulate the national populace, particularly poor people, within self-sustaining communities? Where you take some of the activities and the culture that you often find within uh, cities, urban centers, with all the sort of healthy aspects of the countryside, the open spaces, the access to green space, the sunlight, the access to what they thought were healthier buildings because they reminded them of... Uh, Victorian, well, no, not Victorian, but medieval, medieval communities, medieval buildings. If you could do that, if you could marry those two, then perhaps it was a healthier place, healthier way of living. And that was the idea. That was the idea. You make them a little bit close to uh, present-day urban communities so that uh, poor people could be able to board a train and get there. But you'd make it so attractive that you could attract industry on one side of the community, but you design the community so that the pollution from the industry would go the other way and wouldn't hinder sort of the healthy aspects in the open space and the green countryside space of the Garden City community. So that's what people like Sir Ebenezer Howard tried to do. That's what they wrote about in books, promoting the ideas. They tried to get investors, and they did get investors to create cities like Letchworth Garden City. In the 1920s, they created Wellwood Garden City. Raymond Unwin and Dame Henrietta Barnett created Hampstead Garden Suburb. And then some of these ideas would translate to 
regional planners and town reform thinkers like Lewis Mumford and Clarence Stein in the United States. They were trying to reform the city. They were trying to create a community where you could marry both the benefits of town with the benefits of the country. I'm doing my dissertation at the University of Maryland, which gives me an opportunity to be close by uh, Greenbelt, Maryland, which is the fullest manifestation of Garden City ideas in the United States. It was a community that was founded during the New Deal administration. It was part of the federal Greenbelt Talent program of the of FDR's New Deal. So it gave me an opportunity to live there, to experience living in thin a Garden City-inspired community. And then when I was able to travel with the fellowship to Letchworth and to Welland, I was able to see the earlier English version of what a Garden City was. And all of those experiences that I was having while I was reading and going through the research and the historical documents and the books that historians have already written, there's a lot of issues that come up. When I first thought and heard about Garden Cities, I had a positive, um, positive feeling in response to it. It seemed like sort of a noble cause. But there's a lot of ideological issues once you sort of get into the nitty gritty of it. And I can feel those ideological issues when I stand in Greenbelt, in the center of the community, or when I was walking around Letchworth because a lot of the ideas of what constituted healthy, healthy living, or what people were supposed to do that was healthy, was inherently contoured by the context of their times and the sort of the social sort of forms and customs of their times. So if the men, predominantly men, predominantly from certain classes in England, they were white men. Their ideas were often sort of contoured by their experience of class and of race and of gender. Within this vision of garden cities, particularly in England, it was supposed to inspire this sort of um, traditional family home life. So all of these activities were often male-centered. The place of women was sort of... Um, to be at the home, to take care of the children, to be a mother, to reinforce these very particular social norms that are related to how we understand our bodies. In terms of race, these were predominantly white communities. In England and Greenbelt, United States, Greenbelt was strictly to be a white community. African American poor farmers weren't able to have access to be some of the first residents in the community. It was a segregated garden cities, even though they were meant to be ideal. They're inherently segregated. 
They were class-based, so all these activities that they thought were healthy, instead of the sports. There were things like uh, lawn bowling, or tennis, or joining a theater society. You can see all these issues of class, and race, and gender, and nationalism. Nationalism is a key component. Sort of percolating and coming up through. The more that I experience, sort of live and think about these garden cities. It's not enough simply to walk around and think about it. Once you get into research, everything has not necessarily a dark side, but everything is very contextual. Everything is complex and complicated. It becomes even more complicated when you think about it through a bodily experience. So I think about all of this history, I think about what I'm reading, all this research I'm doing about these communities, about Letchworth, about Greenbelt, about the history of these Garden City ideas, these ideas that all these British and American men thought about and made material through the design of these actual communities where people lived. And I think about the reasons why I'm doing the research. And I think about what I'm feeling when I visit all these communities, or when I live, actually, in Greenbelt. Am I happier? Is there something different because I live in this community than as opposed to a community where the strip malls are close by? Or where access to green space is not surrounding the community where I live? It's not a planned community. Am I happier? Do these sort of feelings of, of worry and anxiety, have they been reduced because I'm living in a Garden City community? Are the people around me happier? Do they talk more at the grocery store? Does the checkout register worker talk to me more at the grocery store because we're living in a Garden City as opposed to anywhere else? Do they feel more fulfilled? In Greenbelt, there's numerous cooperatives. Cooperative cafe cooperative newspaper, cooperative uh, movie theater. The homes are part of a cooperative. Apartments. Does that mean they're better neighbors? In Letchworth, it was a private enterprise. They got private capital to build the community. But are the people better neighbors with themselves? Do they engage in more activities? Do they have more of a civic involvement? I don't know. There is a bodily component, I, and I could feel it when I live. And I still live in Greenbelt, and when I visited Letchworth and walked down the streets, even in days that were cloudy and rainy and cold, when I felt the wind and looked out at the countryside and the trails that were once the agricultural boat of Letchworth, there was something tangibly different. It may be that I'm telling myself that they're different. But from my own experience, my own sort of embodied experience, what I felt at the Garden Cities was unique in something I didn't really experience in the other communities that I had lived previously.
funny way, all those questions that I asked and things that I thought about brought me back full circle to where I was in the beginning. Not the same position, but a little bit different. Have different ideas, new knowledge, new experience. Some questions answered. Most questions not. Kind of the sort of ironic experience of the dialectic, I guess. I mean, the fundamental question when I started, the fundamental question that I sort of posed in this podcast is what am I to make of these sort of bodily experiences, these sort of feelings I felt when I visited and thought about these garden cities? But that's sort of a question that doesn't have an easy answer. And an answer that I'm not going to find in some primary source or some history book. It's just something that my own searching and my own experience and knowledge and activities are going to have to provide the answers. I do know one thing. These various Garden City communities some really lovely aspects of them, particularly the green space, the green belts, the agricultural belts, and access to countryside, and, and green belt terms, the forest and woods where children could play. There is something about garden cities that keeps me thinking and keeps me searching. All right, and that's it for another episode of Somatic. Again, we really want to thank you for listening. Um, and if you want to find out more about this topic, Sam put together a really cool blog post with a bunch of information um, where you can dig more into the subject. So you can check that out on our website at somaticpodcast.com. If you want to follow us on Twitter, again, our handle is at somaticpodcast. Um, and if you want to get in contact with us, you can send us an email at somaticpodcast at gmail.com. Oh, also, uh, before I go, um, I should also remember to say thank you to Springfield College who gave us support to buy the equipment to make the show. Um, We're always uh, very thankful of the support that they've offered us. So hopefully uh, we'll be back in the next four to six weeks. So uh, keep an eye on your feed um, and uh, we'll speak to you again soon.
This has been Somatic. <laughs>